So let's get right into tackling this tequila. So some of the behavioral terms that we're going to talk about this week are terms that we've talked about previously. So some of these will be a refresher. Um, so we're going to be talking about some motivating operations, which as a reminder are environmental variables that increase or decrease the reinforcing or punishing effect of some stimulus object or event and increases or decreases the current frequency of all behavior that has been reinforced or punished by that stimulus object or event. So for example, if hunger is my motivating operation like it is right now, food is going to have an increased reinforcing effect and the behaviors that I've engaged in previously that have been reinforced in the past that have gotten me food are most certainly going to increase as well. So essentially, MOs determine if something is more or less valuable at that time. We'll also talk about SDs and S-deltas. So a SD is a discriminative stimulus. And these stimuli signal that reinforcement is available. So SDs essentially determine if something is more or less available to you. And then S delta is if a stimulus um, is a stimulus signal rather that um, signals that reinforcement is not available. We'll also talk about reinforcement, which again occurs when stimulus change immediately follows a response and increases the future frequency of that type of behavior in similar conditions. And then we have punishment, which is essentially the opposite. So it occurs when stimulus change immediately follows a response and decreases the future frequency of that type of behavior in similar conditions. The new term that we're gonna be talking about are um, group contingencies. So a group contingency is a contingency in which a common consequence, usually but not necessarily a reward, um, that's intended to function as a reinforcement is contingent on the behavior of one member of the group, the behavior of part of the group, or the behavior of everyone in the group. So with group contingencies, there's three different kinds. So we have independent group contingencies, dependent group contingencies, and interdependent group contingencies. So with the independent group contingency, the contingency is presented to all members of the group, but reinforcement is only available to those who meet the criterion outlined in the contingency. So for this one, you can think kind of like back in school where like if, you know, like the whole class is presented maybe with the demand or um, the criteria of, you know, everyone turning in their homework on time every day. And at the end of the week, whoever turns in their homework or turned in their homework um, every day would maybe get like access to like a pizza party. Um, so then we have a dependent group contingency. So for this one, the reward is for the whole, the reward for the whole group is dependent on the performance of an individual or a smaller group. So this one is also called the hero procedure. So say you have that exact same scenario of the teacher setting the criteria about the pizza party. So maybe instead of with an independent uh, group contingency, where like the whole class is presented with the criteria um, and everybody who does that or meets that criteria gets the pizza party with this one, it'll be that 
say out of the entire class, I have to, like me alone, for example, have to meet that criteria of turning in my homework on time every day. And then if I do that, me alone, um, then the whole class would get that pizza party. And then lastly, we're going to talk about some um, interdependent group contingencies. And for this one, it's when all members of the group must meet the criteria of the contingency, both individually and as a group, before any member earns the reward. So with this one, the pizza party would not happen unless the entire class, each individual in the entire class, turns in their homework, you know, on time every day in order for them to earn the pizza party. So this week on Will Price Lover for News. So Prince Harry came out and said that his marriage to Meghan Markle has made him more aware of unconscious bias towards black people. He also urges people with his newfound awareness to join the fight against racism. Can we say hashtag things you should talk about before you marry black people? But sure. So on Instagram Live a few days ago, Offset was detained while driving through a Trump rally. Apparently rallies say that he was waving guns like all out of his car as he was driving through the rally and Again, he was detained on IG Live. He was the one who actually filmed it all on IG. He wasn't actually arrested, but he was just detained. Um, and I don't know. I just I find this rich coming from that crowd. <laughs> Beyonce has broken the internet, as she always does. Um, she's made me feel super broke, um, super poor. And this is because she has announced that she's ready to take all of our money as she is getting ready to launch new Ivy Park apparel. So, yeah, I need it all. Um, I don't want to work out in it or anything. I really just, you know, want to wear it um, and I need it. So, yeah, who wants to donate to the Beyonce Ivy Park Fund? So also a new versus battle has been announced. It's going to be T.I. versus Jeezy. I'm super pumped about that. I'm really, really excited to, you know, not do like new age TikTok difficult dances. I'm excited, you know, to just kind of reminisce back to simpler time. <laughs> so I'm super pumped about that. Um, and then lastly, honestly, if you're anything like me, you've been getting harassed about it. So seriously, wear a mask please go vote. That is it for the lever this week. Let's jump right into the topic for today. For the past month or so, I've been utterly obsessed with watching all things about cults. I'm talking about Scientology, both the Leah Remini show along with some of like the other docu-series about them, um, Nexium, Children of God, Jonestown, The Nation of Yahweh, Wild Wild Country, Holy Hell, 
uh, you name it, honestly, I've just been watching it. Um, the one that intrigued me most, though, was about Nexian. So for those of you who have been living under some kind of rock, please immediately pause this and go back and watch The Vow. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. If I had a spoiler alert sound bite, I would enter this in right here, but I don't. So here we are. Here's your spoiler alert. Um, but before we get into Nexium and like what it was about or what it is about, I want to briefly discuss some of the advantages of using those group contingencies. If you don't remember what those group contingencies are, go ahead and rewind this back and go listen to the tacting and tequila section. So some of the advantages, according to Cooper, are that group contingencies are a time saver when you're administering it. And if you think about it, it makes sense. So instead of having to give every single person in a group a consequence, you can give one consequence to all members of the group at the same time. Um, it can also be used in situations in which individual contingencies is just simply impractical. So the example that the book mentions is one teacher attempting to reduce destructive behaviors of several students. So just logistically speaking, the teacher may be outnumbered. So um, it just will be really, really difficult to implement individual contingencies. Um, group contingencies might also be used in cases in which practici practitioners need to problem solve quickly, such as when serious disruptive behaviors occur. And then lastly, it can be used to capitalize on peer influence and peer monitoring because this type of, type of contingency sets the occasion for peers to act as change agents. So group contingencies, according to Cooper, can also be used to prompt positive social interactions and positive behavioral supports within the group. So I'm pretty nerdy. I use a couple of group contingencies um, with you know, some of my um, staff at work, even some of the scholars that I work with. And I, I mean, I absolutely love them. Um, what has been most intriguing to me about watching these shows and documentaries about cults is really just this element of group contingencies and group behaviors. So let's talk about Nexium. So ESP Nexium was said to be an organization that helped people to optimize their behaviors under the leadership of someone named Keith Ranieri, aka Vanguard. So Ranieri was said to have the highest IQ in the world, and he attracted all kinds of wealthy people to his organization. Most notably, a famous actress by the name of Allison Mack, who used to play Smallville. Never watched that show, heard it was great. Maybe I need to go back and watch it because apparently she was great before she went batshit crazy in this organization. Um, so with Nexium, it was a worldwide organization that required its members to take different classes. And each class was setting them on this trajectory to reach higher levels of achievement and internal fulfillment at a cost, of course. And so the more class you took, the higher you moved up in rank. And then each rank was actually noted by a different kind of sash. So similarly to say, um, like when you do martial arts, how like each belt is colored uh, specifically to indicate, I don't really know actually now that I think about this, anything about martial arts, I don't know what it's said to indicate, but you know what I mean. Um, and so... Yeah, um, Nexium also kind of adopted that practice. So while Nexium was like this big umbrella company, there were many other companies under it. 
one, for example, um, was like all for men. And so um, all the men who either like bought, you know, how many ever classes it was or who bought into this specific class, they kind of did more of like this quote unquote alleged like gender specific bonding. So the main one that I'm going to talk about though, for the purpose of this episode, and really what got the world talking about how fucked up this organization was, is DOS. So DOS was posed um, for members that were women, um, cisgender women, and it was supposed to be a female empowerment kind of group. And what it actually was, was a sex cult, a sex trafficking cult. Um, So women in DOS had to sign a lifetime vow of silence and obedience from or to really anyone about their true involvement in the group and their lifetime um, vow of obedience was specifically to who they refer to as their masters. So, I mean, and when I say masters, I literally mean like a slave to master kind of relationship. Um, I just can't make this up. (laughs) Um, They had to give in order to even like enter into DOS, they had to give some kind of collateral, something so great and bad about them that would motivate them to not only stay in DOS, but to also continue on throughout their lives, maintaining their vow of silence. So it really had to be shit that was like fucked up. One person was talking about how she sent like naked pictures of herself. Somebody else was talking about how her vow was that, you know, someone previously in her family had raped or molested her. And I mean, like, really fucked up things that would be true collateral. Um, These women were branded, branded um, in their vaginal areas with Keith's initials. They were placed on a 500-calorie-a-day restrictive diet. And again, like, they, they were literally slaves, and they had their slave masters. Not my words, obviously their words. So these um, were literal group dynamics in DOS where they had to ask for permission to eat, ask for permission on what to wear, permission on when to go to bed, permission to shower. I mean, it, it was, it was very, very, again, like that slave to master kind of dynamic. Um, and then to make it even more fucked up, they were advised to recruit other women. So once they recruited others, their roles and and their rank in DOS changed. But again, everyone always had slaves and everyone had masters. And then to top it off, they were all forced to have sex with Keith, the vanguard. Believe me when I say I am only scratching the surface of, I mean, really what was going on um, in this documentary. Um, So much so that actually, by the time you all listen to this episode, Keith Ranieri, as of October 27th, was sentenced to 120 years in prison. 120 years in prison. Um, He was sentenced to that 120 years for really just his being the mastermind behind this sex trafficking ring, um, along with racketeering, conspiracy, forced labor, identity theft, 
sexual exploitation of a child and possession of child pornography. Um, According to Vanity Fair, and if you've been following this story as obsessively, obsessively as I have, he showed absolutely no remorse at all leading up to the trial. In fact, he was super, super arrogant. He was already talking about um, filing a lawsuit um, against um, not only like the lawyers, like his the prosecutors, but also he was talking about, um, what is it called? I, like, is it a con- like filing a con? No, it's not contempt. I mean, apparently I know nothing about law enforcement or about like how shit works, um, you know, when you go to court and when you go to trial, but pretty much he was, oh, a retrial, like he was trying to do some kind of retrial before he even got sentenced. So just no signs of remorse. He was always talking about his innocence. The only thing that he said was that he's sorry if um, his group caused anybody any kind of harm or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so today when the sentencing came out, I mean, I was literally like gasping. I was actually super surprised. I don't, um, I don't know. I don't always have faith in our judicial system. So I was super surprised actually that he, um, actually got that sentencing. Um, but I'm really happy with one of the things that came out actually in court is how he had raped someone as young as 15 raped her ongoingly just over years and years I mean she suffered years of abuse and years of sexual abuse um he forced her to get an abortion um he I mean truly just traumatized this woman and um yeah so much so that she attempted suicide a few years ago I'm really, really thankful that people like her and other victims of this cult were actually able to see, excuse me, some kind of justice being served. So I guess um, to that degree, like there's some kind of silver lining, but I just, it's fucked up. And I think one of the things that I think is super interesting just from, I guess, like a behavioral standpoint is again tying it back to group contingencies and what kind of group contingencies were in play and if you watch the vow and if you listen and re-listen and even just google what group contingencies are and you really kind of understand what they are and how they work if you re uh, if you watch shows like the vow or any other show about nexium one actually just came out with another survivor you know telling about talking about her experiences, you'll see that we actually have a few group contingencies at play here. And as you can imagine, the group contingencies were, I mean, extremely fucking powerful. When I was watching The Vow, I noticed a couple of group contingencies. So I don't know, I'll just talk about a few here. Um, so we do have some independent group contingencies and that, you know, whoever buys those classes I was referring to a little bit earlier, they individually would get access to this reinforcement. And so in this case, I think some of the reinforcement could include like access to this genius Vanguard key. It also could just be, um, you know, essentially, I guess, and I don't really know how accurate this would be but you know essentially like one step closer to this enlightenment and this overall just kind of a sense of achievement um so an interdependent 
contingency that I was thinking about was with the women in DOS in that if each of the women in DOS recruited, I think it was five to seven women, they would move up in rank. Like, But each of them who were at whatever rank they were, so like say if you were like at the lowest rank of slave, um, you had to recruit, again, I think it was five women in order for you to like move up to be like their master. Um, but before you could do that, like all the other people who were also slaves had to do the exact same thing. So essentially like you guys would kind of like move up together. Um, and again, like you'd have to recruit the people. Um, and then some of the benefits of moving up would be like less restrictions, um, which that's kind of just what they were sold. They were kind of sold this, like, I guess, dream of having less restrictions. But what it ended up being is just different kinds of restrictions. Um, so an independent contingency that I was thinking about was that there was um, one main person who, or excuse me, a, a dependent uh, group contingency. There was one main person who actually funded Nexium. And she is one of the daughters and the heiresses of Seagram's gin. So you can only imagine how much money this person had. She also was actually convicted um, in this trial last month. She actually got 18 months in jail for her involvement. Anyway, so she alone funded the organization and the entire group had access then, including her, to the reinforcement that it being funded afforded them such as more classes maybe even like the availability of retreats building new centers they had centers in a few parts of the country a few parts of the world actually and then even access to like jobs within the organization so we're talking about an entire group and i mean thousands and thousands of people were engage engaging in the same kinds of behaviors in order to achieve enlightenment and fulfillment so i feel like whenever we're watching these cult shows a lot of people are like, well, this is so fucking stupid. Like, how could they be so dumb? And it's like, well, how did we get here? And honestly, behaviorally speaking, I'll tell you this. We have to get off our high horse thinking that these people were so stupid because in all actuality, it's actually very fucking easy to get here. In my opinion, members of Nexium each had some kind of motivation to get more out of life, to be a better person, to have some kind of family, to put good out in the world. In other words, they were vulnerable, as honestly we all are in life. And I think that the members and even people who weren't necessarily members, but just took some of those classes, these people saw Keith in ESP and Nexium as an SD. They saw it as you know, some kind of availability of reinforcement in order for them to access those kinds of things. They saw and even experienced personal reinforcements of sorts. A lot of them claim to have felt more and more enlightened. They claim to really have this sense of family. I mean, these people spent years and years in this organization. Some of them married each other. Some of them were in each other's weddings. You know, it was, I think, a true like family kind of feel. Um, the ideal members of these groups were wealthy people who can afford the classes that were thousands and thousands of dollars. So over the course of years of what we outsiders may consider brainwashing, it is no surprise that underneath that leadership, underneath their vanguard, that they were more likely to engage in behaviors that were placed under Keith's stimulus control. 
And while these behaviors, such as leveraging their homes, I mean, literally taking out mortgages on their homes, moving across the country, quitting their jobs, um, just isolating themselves from their friends and their families who were outside of the organization, recruiting others, giving collateral damage against themselves. Um, and it, while that may seem extreme and downright stupid, I urge all of us to think about organizations that we found our, or we find ourselves devoted to. And I mean, really ask yourself why you are devoted to this group and what behaviors you are more likely to engage in when directed to by that group's leader. So for me, um, when I really thought about this, I even had to kind of take it a step further and ask myself, what kind of behaviors was I or am I more likely to engage in when directed by a group's leaders, especially when I'm indoctrinated in that group for years? So consider what, again, behaviors that you would engage in, especially when under the control of literally, literally control and perceived fear. As a spiritual person, um, out of all the documentaries that I've been watching on cults, it's kind of forced me to consider really what's the difference between a cult and a religion. And from my research, I'll tell you that the behaviors, in my opinion, the behaviors under the belief, the perceived and or even the real and actual stimulus control under both groups, both religions and cults are truly not that different. And that's because similar group contingencies exist, similar motivating operations and SBs and S deltas exist as well as, you know, like that reinforcement and that punishing or punishment, excuse me, um, those occur in both groups. So what's the main difference? Well, according to Mike Rinder, a former Scientologist, the difference is in the consequence that occurs when a member tries to leave. So oftentimes in cults, there are severe consequences when someone tries to leave or attempts to leave. So in Scientology, both Mike Rinder and Leah Remini, they talk about different lawsuits, defamation of character, um, kidnapping, murder, you know, et cetera, like these very extreme consequences, essentially making it impossible for you to leave, or at the very least, making it hell if you do leave. So one thing has become abundantly clear to me is really the truth behind a quote that a Nexium cult survivor said. And he said, nobody joins a cult. They join a good thing that turns bad, air quote, bad over time. And that makes so much sense to me. No one, I think, or most people at least, don't knowingly join something like a cult. So I beg you, just like I'm begging myself, to really consider, again, are you or could you be involved in a cult? Is your religion or some of those religious practices or even not even just religion, spiritual practices, or even just some of the daily rituals that you do, are those things controlled or like by fear? Are they controlled, you know, by a real sense of, I guess, I don't know, seeking reinforcement? What are they controlled by? Essentially, what is maintaining your behavior? And who has the stimulus control? Thank y'all so much again for tuning in to this week's Love, Sex, and Applied Behavioral Analysis, the podcast where pop culture and ABA meet. Please send me all of those good questions to the Love, Sex, ABA Instagram page 
Just remember, no questions are off limits. This is a judgment-free zone. So again, you can ask about relationships, sex, applied behavior analysis, pop culture, even suggestions on what I should talk about next. So please be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at lovesexaba. Subscribe and listen anywhere that you can hear podcasts, including Anchor and Apple Podcasts. And please leave me a review. I appreciate that so much. I got an amazing five-star review from my girl Stacy over at the Contingency Click. Thank you so much for leaving me that comment and your that review. Also, listeners, please go ahead and subscribe and listen to the Contingency Click as well. You can find that anywhere that you listen to podcasts too. So again, thank you so much for joining me today. And yeah, I will see you later. Bye.